Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Today, we tell you how the Knicks went from a bottom 10 offense a year ago to a top five offense this year. All the stats, all the anecdotal reports coming up right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So you're somehow not subscribed already. First of all, what are, what are you doing? You got to question some life decisions. So uh, when you get a chance, uh, hit that subscribe button, hit that notifications bell so you never, ever miss an episode. But who is just pestering you to subscribe to their podcast? Well, I'm Gavin Shell, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Uh, he is Alex Wolf, editor in chief of the Strickland, uh, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. Alex, this feels like something of a reunion. Uh, I have had an insane uh, broadcast schedule of late, so we've not been able to do a bunch of these together. But man, first of all, what a win over the Brooklyn Nets last night! I didn't get to say that. Um, I feel bad because my my Nets loving roommate is is within within hearing range. But that was an incredible win, um, and it it inspired uh, this podcast. Yeah, you know, uh, I for anyone that listened to uh, my game recap, I made sure to gloat that final score at least four or five times uh, throughout the episode and also that first half score of 81 points. And that really got me thinking, and I mentioned it on that episode, like just think, take a moment and appreciate just how much better this team is this year, how much more fun they are to watch and how, like, how much better on offense they've gotten. Like I can't even think of the Knicks of the past few years scoring 142 points in a game. And yet here we are with them doing it and scoring 81 and a half when in previous years, 81 in a full game was considered like, uh, I wouldn't say a good effort, but that was like something that you wouldn't be surprised to see at the end of a Knicks game sometimes over the last couple of years. So I, I wanted to look at the stats and kind of see, last year versus this year. And then we can sort of like contextualize that and try to figure out like all the ways that the Knicks have gotten better this year and and why through some stats and some anecdotal evidence from obviously watching all the games, although we haven't watched three times. So I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we do. Um, That's almost becoming like a deep cut meme at this point. Somehow the three times thing so far away. That was from the dark times. Anyway, you know what, you know what, Alex It's working. It's working. Give the guy credit. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe he's watching six times now. Who knows? (laughs) Tibbs Tibbs is up to eight times per game now at this point. Um, Anyway. So I, I wanted to look at first points per 100 possessions. And so for anyone not familiar, this is sort of like the common way to look at stats now in the NBA because it's like not every team plays at the same exact pace. Not every team, um, you know, plays like some teams play more transition. Some teams play more of a half court style. Some teams play a little bit more of a mix of both. So that can skew like just regular old points per game uh, because not every team is having the same amount of possessions per 
game because some teams just run out the shot clock more than others and stuff like that. So this is the way that, you know, the, the stats community sort of made things easier to understand. It's just like straight up, like all these teams per 100 possessions, what do you do? So this year, the Knicks in uh, points per 100 possession differential, meaning how much better or worse they're doing than their opponents this year per 100 possessions. They're a plus 3.5 this year, which is good for seventh in the NBA. And they last year were a minus 0.1, which was 18th in the NBA. So they've had an 11 spot jump in that category so far this year. Points per 100 possessions, those where things really get awesome. If you're a Knicks fan, that's the amount of points that the Knicks are scoring per 100 possessions. They're at 118 this year, which is good for fourth in the NBA. They were at 110.9 last year, which was 21st in the NBA. So from the bottom third, of the league up to top five this year with almost a, well, actually a 7.1 point improvement. And then on the defensive end, things have actually gone down a tiny bit, which I think is kind of funny. It's almost like a, like a microcosm or I guess maybe a macrocosm of like what happens when you add a player like Jalen Brunson, who's so sublimely talented on offense, but not the best point of attack defender. Uh, They actually are, 17th in the NBA this year in points allowed per 100 possessions at 114.5 and they were 11th last year at 111. Uh so that tells me like the offense has gotten that like so 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 much better that their defense was actually allowed to get a little worse and they're still sitting at top 7 in the NBA in points differential per 100 possessions. Uh, one last stat that I'll throw at you, Gavin, to just react to before we get into a couple other like minor stats that I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, opponent effective field goal percentage, which is uh, it takes into account that a three is worth more than a two, so it actually like it takes into account three point defense in kind of an interesting way. Uh, the Knicks actually got better at that this year, so they're actually as far as opponent field goal percentage, even if their points per one hundred possessions aren't better, opponent field goal percentage has gotten better. Uh, or effective field goal percentage, I should say, 53.1% this year, which is good for third in the entire NBA, uh, versus 52.4% last year, which was sixth in the NBA. So either way, top six, not too shabby, but interesting to see that there's an improvement in the percentages they're holding other teams to, even if there's a little bit of a, a downtick in the overall points per 100 possessions they're they're offering. Yeah, I and I, I think when I, when I look at the offense, what – Stands out to me, and this was this was a great note from uh, Jonathan Macri in his uh, his uh, newsletter uh, two days ago. What's kind of funny is uh, the, the stat I'm about to reference talks about effective field goal percentage. The newsletter was two days ago. Since then, uh, the Knicks have moved up two spots just from the uh, from the Nets game. But they're top top ten. I mean, arguably like top seven or top five, depending on what metric you're looking at. Offense, despite ranking 21st in the league in effective field goal percentage, which is basically just a summary of how efficiently. Um, you, you shoot the basketball, including that threes are worth more than two and that uh, free throws are a thing. Um, so why is that the case? It's because they are incredibly good at offensive rebounding, second in the league in offensive rebounding, um, and top 10 in the league in not turning the ball over. And Alex, I think I think a key to both those things are how iso-heavy the Knicks are offensively. Uh, and uh, isolations have always been correlated with less turnovers because you're, you're just passing the ball less. So there's less opportunity for... Um, sloppiness in that aspect of the game and the Knicks this year have been uh, fantastically good in isolation 
Um, they're fourth in terms of the frequency that they isolate, and they're sixth in efficiency. Um, Julius is leading the way. He's ninth in the NBA in isolation points per game. And he's actually not last in the top 10 in terms of efficiency, when, which when you consider Julius was one of the least efficient high-volume scorers in the NBA last year, is pretty miraculous. He's actually just ahead of Joel Embiid. And then Brunson kind of provides the counterpoint where he has a little bit less volume, but he's seventh in the entire NBA in efficiency for players who have at least two possessions per game. And I think all that also tends to help with offensive rebounding, which we can get into uh, with Mitchell Robinson in just a second, the backup centers in just a sec, but a more predictable offense kind of leads to a a center being able to track where the shots are going to go and where they're going to come from. And and more shots coming closer to the rim also leads to more rebounds for a big center. So I I think all those things have kind of combined together to create a hyper-efficient offense, even though the Knicks aren't really a great shooting team. Yeah. And the other thing too, is if you, so if you think about it just structurally, like because they go to ISO as often as they do having Randall, you know, ISO and then look to pass out having Brunson do the same thing. And both of them are, are being pretty efficient with that. Uh, The three point shooting surrounding them becomes that much more important. And earlier this year, the Knicks were not shooting as well from three, and now they've been shooting quite a bit better. So I got a couple other stats to throw out there as far as the three-point shooting as a team. So as a team, they're actually shooting in the top half of the NBA from three since the calendar turned to 2023, which is 27 games. That seems to always be like like when the new year turns, that always seems to be like a big thing for a lot of players on the Knicks. I don't know what it is. It's like not even like – and I guess maybe it is almost an even halfway point of the season. It's got to be pretty close, but – Regardless, 27 games since the year turned over, the Knicks are shooting 37.6%, which is 14th in the league, which is the top half, which is honestly better than you could say for any Knicks team in recent memory. Like they've they've traditionally been extremely streaky as a team and struggled to crack even the top 20 most years recently. Uh, so the fact that they're, they're top half of the league right now considering how good they are in the other aspects with the ISO scoring and the offensive rebounding and everything else is a pretty good combo earlier this year too, just as a reminder. And I mean, we were, we were pretty worried about this earlier in the year. I remember they were literally one of the worst teams in the NBA shooting the three for about two, three months. Uh, I want to say almost all the way up until like the like gear turned over. They were bad. It was like them, the Lakers and some of the tanking teams down there just, stinking it up from three shooting like 32 percent or something uh i had like i forget what i set my filter to through like december 10th or something but they were at 32.1 percent at that point third worst in the league so i just think that three-point shooting it has always been one of those things that has kind of kept this team from being good too and like especially last year i thought things got so much more streaky from out there and one of the main factors in like 20 to 21, for example, that was so dependable was the Julius Randle kicking out to either Reggie Bullock or RJ Barrett. And they were shooting like 40% from three and Emmanuel quickly shooting around that. And that was part of what made that team so good. I think now what's made them even better is that Randall's taking a better shot profile. Randall's looking to pass more. They now have Brunson, which is obviously a huge difference of both those two years going from Alfred Payton or Kemba Walker, or Alec Burks, a point guard to freaking Jalen Brunson. Uh, who just won player of the month, by the way, congrats to him. And then like the other thing is the, just like the fact that they have that increased offensive rebounding, 
helps and the fact that they have like more shooters now pretty much all the time they have shooters ready to go there's just so many things that are helping them right now uh to become an even better offense but i think we can get a little more granular in just a second and start looking at some of the stats but uh gavin do we want to real quick let everybody know where to place some bets perhaps on some Knicks going forward yeah, there's only uh, only one place to do it, Alex, and that is FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, our, it's the midway point of the NBA season. It's a little bit past it even. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money lines to points scored and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Alex, I, I know you I know you love a good same-game parlay. Any Anything you have your eye on um, as, as the season winds down from a Knicks perspective? You know what? I, only, I do love same-game parlays, but I'm going to pump up Emmanuel quickly for six-man. Get your money mm-hmm. in while you can. I think it's still holding that around plus 1,800 or something. Clearly, it's getting a lot of money from people and uh, Vegas is, is bringing the the odds down quite a bit, but it's pretty good odds to buy in on it. Plus 1800, $10 bet wins you 180 bucks that way. So check it out. Go find what the odds are right now for six man of the year for quick. Yeah, not too bad. Plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. And I think the most obvious place to look, Alex, and it's certainly the first place my mind went is uh, when, when you're talking about overall offensive improvement is the point guard position, right? And and it's as simple as this. Jalen Brunson just completely outclassing what we got from Kemba Walker and Alec Burks a year ago, averaging 26 points, uh, six assists, four rebounds per game on 59% true shooting. Kemba, when he played 12 points, uh, four assists, three rebounds on 54% true shooting with uh, somehow dramatically worse defense than Jalen Brunson. Um, Alec Burks, um, I, and I only did games with Al Kemba for Burks, so when he was the nominal point guard for the Knicks, um, 13 points, six rebounds, four assists on 54% true shooting. So Brunson is a much better scorer in terms of his volume and a much more efficient scorer. And... Um, correlated to that stat i think is the mitchell robinson effect so the knicks shot 1.1 percent worse with mitch on the floor last year this year they're 3.1 percent better and and to me that that is all about jalen brunson um not only does he create easy offensive rebounds for mitch like when he does miss just because of the types of shots that he takes but he is just so efficient and is such a good i think more than anything else alex in between game right like like what he does in the mid-range that is as good or better than pretty much any other point guard in the NBA, it is kind of the perfect skill set for a paint bound center like Mitchell Robinson, because he is just not as reliant on finishing at the rim as Nick's point guards in the past. And really just point guards in general are in the NBA. You combine that with the fact that he added um, self-created threes this year. When that was a shot that one, he just didn't really shoot that often in the past. And two, when he did shoot it, he wasn't very efficient with it. You combine those things. He's essentially the perfect point guard to pair with Mitchell Robinson. And I think because of that, um, we're getting a career season for Mitch, not only in terms of some of his stats, but just in terms of his impact, because you're not suffering as much for him being parked at the rim. And in turn, the opponent's center being parked at the rim at all times. 
Yeah, Mitchell Robinson, the self-reclaimed best center in New York, as he created waves today on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, obviously, Brunson, everything starts with Brunson as far as the Knicks getting better on offense this year. Like, the numbers, the numbers I don't even, like, I, I don't know how you could possibly even do it justice. Like, just the effect that he has on the court of what he does on offense compared to what the Knicks have gotten out of that spot in the past. Like, it's so easy to just, like, think back and be like remember like Alfred Payton who could semi get to the rim but could never score there who could not shoot at all from three so essentially if he was left alone he was like at, like or if he was out like in the corner he would just get left alone and the times that he did decide to shoot it it was not pretty uh, and the other times they would just be like okay well, we'll just wait until he gets inside and then we could see you know, we could do that way. And then Kemba Walker just clearly had no, no ability to break a defense down anymore. So we actually saw some decent like pull up and spot up shooting from him from time to time. Although he even was having a little bit of difficulty, like generating the burst to get to his spots off of like a pick and roll um, to just kind of like use a pick to free himself up and get a shot off. So even that was sort of diminished last year, but like his ability to break down someone on offense was completely gone last year. So he was not able to get to the rim at all. And then Alec Burks was able to shoot the three. He actually even was okay at like self-creation and stuff. So like that part was fine. But as far as breaking down the defense and initiating, he left so much to be desired because essentially he was able to get to the rim. Like, I don't want to say it will, but almost it will. And yet finished like, the worst maybe in the entire NBA for the amount that he would shoot there. Like 39%, I think was the number that he shot at the rim last year, which is just like a solid 20 to 30 points less than what you want that number to be, uh, which is absolutely insane. So it's, you know, Brunson is like where everything starts here. Uh, I think the other thing, you know, if we're going to highlight another player that I think has made a huge difference, I just mentioned him a second ago in the, the fan duel read, but like Emmanuel quickly this year, I think has been almost as big of a, a revelation as Brunson in the starting lineup. And maybe not necessarily because he's gotten that much better, but because he's been given that many more opportunities. Uh, so his on off numbers, which we've been uh, referencing a little bit. So last year, the Knicks were actually a plus 13.8 with uh, Emmanuel quickly on the court versus him off the court which is awesome. That is a great number. Uh, that's per basketball reference. This year, they're a plus 8.7 with him on the court versus off. So, wait, are you telling me he was good all along? Yes, that, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Uh, he's been good this whole time, and he just wasn't getting opportunities. Um, what's even funnier is, like, some of his stats that you would maybe think, like, oh, these should these presumably are better this year aren't necessarily like his assist percentage was 23 and a half percent last year is actually only 16.3 percent this year his usage percentage is down from 24.2 percent last year to 19.5 percent this year which usage percentage is amount of uh amount of time that you finish a play either via a shot or an assist um uh, but like it just feels like he's as involved as ever like his defense is so good he's moving the ball around. He's just kind of always a part of what's going on, whether Brunson's on the floor or not. 
And he's also the big number for him. And I keep going back to threes because threes are just so important this year for this Knicks team. But he's shooting 36% from three now. And that's rising still at the moment because he's been shooting uh, quite a bit better in the in the last half season's worth of games, which is 41 games since uh, December 3rd. He's shooting 38.1% from three on five and a half attempts per game. Uh, he's also shooting 39% on three catch and shoot threes per game this year. And he only shot less than 33% on two attempts per game on catch and shoot threes this year, which shows how much he's gotten better at being like an off ball player and taking advantage of those spot up opportunities that come from playing off of a Jalen Brunson and a Julius Randall. And then lastly, Gavin, you pulled this stat, but uh, he's 5% better at the rim this year and 7% better as a mid range shooter this year. So even if the, like, the usage percentage and stuff like that isn't higher quickly is making so much more out of the opportunities given to him this year. Yeah. I mean, that that's what stands out to me just watching him. Right. I mean, his ability to uh, get to the rim, I mean, his frequency at the rim is, is up too. not, not by as much as I thought it would be, but it's up his accuracy there. Um, he just, he is physically, and, and we noted this, like, I think as early as the first couple of games of the season, like, like phys- and, and, it, and the turn started last season. Like I was, cut back to the wizards game that I, th- I think I was either the wizards or the Raptors. That was the final game of the year, but, but both those games were quickly where I was like, all right, he is just, he is separating from his defender easier than he did in the past. And you could see he's stronger at the rim. He's more able to finish through contact. And the mid range game is, is, is kind of gotten crazy for him because it's not really easy shots. Like he's not, um, not, not that Chris Paul's shots are easy, but Chris Paul, like especially in his prime, could create a lot of separation in the mid-range. Quickly doesn't really do that, but he takes advantage of the fact that he's like he's decently tall for a guard at six foot three, and he has those long arms, and he gets pretty high up in the air to just kind of elevate and hit. And I, I think because of his speed, defenders tend to play a little bit off of them, and he's so good at getting guys off balance that he ends up finding really good looks um, from the mid-range. But Alex, I also I also wanted to touch on. Um, Julius Randle, because uh, we, we, we've seen uh, before our eyes a guy who, who recommitted to being great this year, and it's, it's come into play. Um, but before we do that, let's step aside one final time, and when we return, we're going to come back and talk about Julius Randle. All right, we are back on Locked on Knicks. Um, I think in my mind, when I was I, – I wanted to start off with Julius Randle – um, time of possession stats, like how long he's holding the basketballs. My instincts were, all right, he's been he's been so much better at getting off the ball quickly this year. And it's actually not as crazy as I would have thought, right? He's down seven touches per game, which is which is pretty significant, right? But not not necessarily like astounding. It's it's something like he, he's touching the ball 10% less per game. Um, his minutes per game with the ball, he's down from four minutes per game with the ball last year to three and a half minutes per game with the ball this year. Um but where the um, numbers really start to turn is in terms of his efficiency. Um, he is 67th percentile in the league in uh, for the power forward position and points per shot attempt this year. So that's just sort of a catch-all statistic for how efficient he is when he shoots the basketball. Um, he was 6% in the NBA last year. That means if you take a random sampling of 100 power forwards in the league, Julius would have been the 95th worst last season so that is that is not good um and this year he's above average so that that's pretty incredible um he's seven percent better at the rim 11 percent better on um short mid-range attempts and four percent better from three-point range so alex we've seen a guy who and 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 visually this has been backed up but who at every single level has become more efficient is scoring the ball more touching the ball less like it's all good stuff for julius randall yeah and the biggest thing too has become like his his shot profile as well you know, he's he's shooting just such a better uh, 
like he's he's making better decisions about where he's shooting the ball. Like for example, his shots at the rim. This is for cleaning the glass. I just pulled this right now as you were saying that because I was like, oh, this is this. I bet you that this is going to bear out in this. Uh, so this year he's shooting uh, 29% of his attempts at the rim, uh, which is good for the 53rd percentile in the NBA uh, at, for the, for him, it's the forward spot considered yeah. on cleaning the glass. Uh, and then he was 16th percentile last year in attempts taken at the rim. So he's clearly doing a lot better there. And he's actually, he's down a little bit in like percentile, this year as far although actually they changed his designation from big to forward from last year to this year so some of these numbers it's a little i wish they would just keep his designation the same but so he actually went from uh he sh- he's shooting 11 percent more of his shots from three this year than last year which the percentile numbers can't really be trusted here now because last year they considered him a big and this year they consider him a forward which is a huge difference uh, in terms of how that data is going to play out, but he took 28% of his attempts from uh, three last year versus 39% this year. So like we've talked about that on the show before, but it, that makes it more acceptable. The fact that, I mean, even earlier in the season, like granted he's, he's caught such fire lately that now he's shooting, I think like 35%, almost 36% from three. Uh, so it's gotten better. And that's like, honestly, a, pretty solid number that's like around league average but you know the fact that he's taking those shots and you know yes he's shooting worse than he did two years ago in 20 to 21 when he shot like over 40 percent but if you're taking more threes and hitting 36 percent of them versus taking more mid-range shots and hitting like 44 percent of those if you bear the math out, that's where that whole like effective field goal percentage thing comes in. Uh, and, you know, shooting more uh, threes is good in terms of efficiency if you can hit them at like a league average or above level, because then you can like get more more bang for your buck, essentially. If you can hit those shots at a 36% clip versus like a 40 something percent clip for mid range, you're getting more points per shot attempt, which is what plays into that number that you said there. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I was I was right. gonna say real quick. I mean, it's just it's better. Like the the reason the volume matters is thirty six percent from three is better than anything anything less than fifty four percent from two. So even even if he's shooting really well from mid range, if he's not above that fifty four percent mark, it's good that those shots become a three, and that that's why that trade off makes sense every time. Yeah, absolutely, and that's like I think the main thing of why Julius has gotten so much better this year, and the fact that he's getting to the rim more too. And this is more anecdotal, you know, but the way that he is seeing the floor and the way that he's reacting to bent defenses this year, I think is so much more valuable even than his 20 to 21 self as well, too, because his 20 to 21 self was so much more based on like, like the Carmelo Anthony style of essentially he was going to get it in the, in, you know, the mid range, he's going to kind of get to work and, you know, maybe back guy down for a second, maybe do a couple jab steps, a couple hezzies, whatever, and then throw up a you know a mid range shot, which he was making at a really high clip that year. But ultimately, all he was kind of waiting for at that point was like, okay, I got to get hot. And once I get hot, then the doubles will start coming, and then I can start attacking a bent defense that way and and kick out to guys. But even then, even in that great season, and especially last year, 
we saw him struggle with reading the floor in those situations and kind of cave to the pressure a little bit. Whereas this year he's taking the, like the opportunities to drive more. And even if he has no intention of actually getting to the rim, like we've seen lately, like one of his trademark moves is like, get it at the three point line, start driving in and then start cutting like horizontally across the lane instead of directly towards the hoop and just like make the defense react to you. And even if a guy just turns around off of Quentin Grimes and looks at you and says, Oh no, what's he doing? That gives you that split second to whip it to Quentin Grimes and create that opportunity that way. So like, it's so much better to be in motion and trying to create than it is to be stationary and trying to create. And I feel like he's learned that lesson this year and it's really, you know, borne out in how he's been playing. No, absolutely. Um, He is, I mean, uh, our guy Benji Ritholtz had a whole thing on it earlier this year, but just his, his activity level. Like I, I think it, it, it ends up coming into play on the defensive end as well. It's almost like once he stops moving, he doesn't really start. Or sorry, once he starts moving, he doesn't really stop moving. I almost almost flipped that. Um, speaking of guys uh, who big guys who move under the basket, uh, Mitchell Robinson. Um, I, I wanted to just go a little deeper on, on what I noted earlier, where the Knicks are are still a really good offensive rebounding team. In fact, Alex, you made mention of this earlier. They are a better offensive rebounding team than they were a year ago, and that is in spite of Mitchell Robinson nominally having less of a relative impact. So let me let me explain that. Last year, the Knicks were five point five percent better. Um, in terms of their offensive rebounding percentage, so the number of missed shots that they offensive rebounded. Um, this season, when, when Mitch was on the court than when he was off, this season they're only 1.8% better when he's on the court than when he's off. So what that actually indicates is nothing about Mitchell Robinson. What that indicates is that his backups, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein and Jericho Sims, versus, uh, I, I guess, the combination of Nerlens Noel when he was healthy for, I guess, 10 minutes last year, Taj Gibson and rookie, Uh, Jericho Sims a year ago his backups are actually doing a better job than the backups were a year ago and to fully sum that up uh, to the point the Knicks were sixth in the league in offensive rebounding last year and second in offensive rebounding percentage this year and I'll throw in a way they've doubled down on that Josh Hart since coming to the Knicks leads the league in offensive rebounding percentage uh, for guards not for all players but Alex this is this is something we made note of when the Josh Hart trade was done, and it's why I think the Knicks might have a little bit more lasting um, or, or staying power, I guess, in the playoffs than people previously thought. Um, there was this, there was this whole notion a little while ago that all right, offensive rebounding that was so '90s, right? That was so early 2000s. That's not how basketball play is played now. It's about threes. It's about running fast. It's about looking cool while you do it. Now the game is still on some level about physicality, and I think I think the bubble Lakers were a great example of that. The Celtics last year when they were really rolling with Robert Williams and Al Horford um, healthy and playing together at their peak when they were just dominating the NBA, you can win in this league because you can out-physical people. And I think the beauty of this Knicks team is they do have kind of the sterling efficiency numbers that you want. And to your point, they're actually now at least like over a large sample size, an upper half three-point shooting team. But while they've gotten kind of that fanciness, they didn't lose their brute physicality. And it is... To everything we've been saying, I think that's kind of the apex of this conversation. You combine the brutality that worked for the 21 or the 2021 team and what they were going for last year, even if they didn't accomplish it, which was like, all right, we want to maintain that, but we also want to shoot better. So we're bringing Kemba Walker, who for his career, one of the more efficient point guard scores in the NBA. And we're bringing Evan Fournier, who's one of the better shooters in the NBA. And it didn't work out because you couldn't keep your defense with those two. But now the Knicks have kind of combined like 
the I, I there's a better way to phrase this, but I'm going to say like the brain and the brawn. This is kind of the apex of those transformations. Yeah, it's it, you almost if you want to look for like an example around the league, you almost have to look no further than like how the Grizzlies have struggled with Steven Adams being out as far as like how much rebounding matters to good teams in the NBA right now. Like teams need good rebounding again. You know, it's sort of like, it's like en vogue again, where teams were like, wait a minute. If we start just sending everybody running after every shot to get back on defense, we're passing up potential opportunities to score more points. If we could just have like, even two people like have two, three people will start leaking back on defense a little bit and have even just like one or two guys, like still try to box out and get a rebound. Maybe things could work out kind of good in that situation, you know? So it's been, yeah. One of these like shifting moments in the league again, where, you know, teams are realizing like, Oh, maybe like truly big, big men, as long as they can nominally switch a little bit, as long as they can, you know, protect the rim and and do all the other stuff that we were asking them to do when it was all just run and gun all the time. If they can also get offensive rebounds, then that's a huge skill. And we should probably stop telling them to not get offensive rebounds all the time. And the, to your other point, like Josh Hart is like the, he's such a weird player. Like I love, I love everything about him since he's joined the Knicks, like everything that he does on the court, like the fact that he, is attacking every opportunity. Like he's like Dennis Rodman or something like to get every rebound is fantastic because then not only does he do that, but he has this ability to then readjust himself very well and just start hustling back. If he doesn't get the rebound and create more havoc in transition by just like jumping in front of the ball all the time and coming out of nowhere, like, for him, because of how he plays defense, it's almost beneficial for him to go for the offensive rebound. And then even if his team doesn't get it, that gives him the opportunity to like streak back and get in the way of something when someone's not expecting him because he's just so like has this like natural sense of what to do on defense and where to be. So yeah, I uh I'm with you. I think that the offensive rebounding has been one of the one of the biggest things. And you know, you made sure to give props too to like the fact that like it's not just Mitch, like Hartenstein does great with that too. Um, Sims does great with that as well. I know that and like Hartenstein had his, uh, his issues earlier in the season. Like you and I were both kind of about ready to be out on him for about like 15 games there. I think where it was just like, every time he hit the court, we were just like, Ugh, like, Oh God, please get him off the court. And <laughs> now it's like, no, I think he's kind of found his rhythm now. Like I think he, he had to adjust to playing a completely different way under Tibbs. And it took him a while to understand, like, okay, you basically want me to be like Mitchell Robinson. And that's not how I was playing last year or, like, any other point in my career. So I guess I have to learn how to just be this big bruiser rather than, like, a guy who, you know, he he would get rebounds before and stuff. But he was also expected to stretch the floor some, like, with the Clippers and, you know, just perform in a completely different offensive environment. And to his credit, he's done a really good job uh, coming around to that as well. So... I don't know, Gavin. I think we could probably pretty much wrap this up here. I know we didn't touch on everybody, like Quentin Grimes, notably, we didn't really get to. Although I think that a lot of what could be said about the three point shooting getting better applies to him. Like he's sort of like the direct barometer for the Knicks three point shooting because he's, in theory, should be one of their most prolific three point shooters. Uh, RJ Barrett, too, has had his struggles, his ups and downs this year. So I, 
I don't necessarily know that he has been a a huge asset to the offense this year, although he certainly had his moments where he has been. And I hope that we see more of those going forward. We did just talk about him recently, too, about how he's gotten a lot better at getting to the rim and finishing at the rim this year. Um, it, hopefully his his shot comes back around soon, and then that can all kind of put itself together. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be a Knicks fan right now, and it's great to be watching this offense every day. Yeah, I'll give uh, I'll give uh, I, I just want to send people out on, on a high. So I'll, I'll end with two crazy Josh Hart stats. He he leads um, uh, for for wings. He leads the league in points per shot since joining the Knicks, and he leads the league in on off differential per hundred possessions since joining the Knicks. So if if you what took he, anything like a plus away, forty <laughs> five. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you took anything away from this podcast, it's uh, uh, go to go to Fanduel Sportsbook, uh, put in a bet for Emmanuel quickly for six man, and then. Putting a bet for Josh Hart for MVP, and if, if the voters uh, have have any have any sense of how math works, uh, you'll you'll be making you'll be a millionaire by the end of this. But uh, I, I, I said it's going to be like a Kevin Malone situation. If anyone gives you ten thousand to one odds on anything, <laughs> you take it. <laughs> if Josh Hart wins an MVP this year, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I would. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. I would. I would look at like. This 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 is crazy. This is a little bit of a jinx, but I I would look into Knicks championship odds. You know what? Throw throw ten dollars down. Might be the best ten dollars you've you've spent in your life. Um, just it, it it'll take uh, some luck and uh, some injuries, which hopefully don't happen. But anyways, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. This is Locked On Knicks. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, with a with a recap uh, featuring um Ariel Pacheco. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be of the Heat game, which is a a, a really really crucial game for the New York Knicks. So we'll have that for you um, tomorrow morning. But until then, be good. We'll talk to you soon. I'm on Sundays.